Happy Mother's Day and welcome to episode number 160 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast. We are recording on May the 8th, 2022. My name is Eric, host of the show, based in Southern Ontario, hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, and of course, computer geek. I uh, started this preparedness company to help people get better prepared for at least 72 hours, if not longer. My name is Ian. I'm a hermit fueled by caffeine and hate on Vancouver Island. <laughs> My name is Andrew. I'm your local government dissident and firearms instructor at Ragnarok Tactical. And I'm Jeff. I'm based in central Ontario. I'm a target shooter, ham radio operator, and general overall handyman. And if you want to support the show and keep the Canadian Prepper Podcast on the air, buy some swag. We have both the Canadian Prepper Podcast t-shirt and the Tactical Velcro patch. You can get them both at www.prepperpodcast.ca All proceeds help keep the lights on and the backup generator fueled. I think Darius is muted still. So if you're enjoying the show, please take a few minutes and like us on Facebook and submit a review on iTunes. Also, we want your feedback, good or bad, or if there's just a topic you want us to cover, you can email us at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca Alright, so we've got some uh, precision content for you in this episode. We're going to start off with some recent news articles. We're going to update you on our personal preparedness then we're going to get into the main topic this evening, Reloading Revisited. So let's move into the news. Alrighty, so uh, any uh, gun lover in Canada will certainly have heard the news by now. The Not a Registry registry starts on the 17th of May. <laughs> so, so it's not little, a registry? Definitely not, but okay. they, they might keep track of every purchase and sale of every firearm from here on in and attach it to your license and your file, but it's not a registry. So oh, yeah, it's definitely not a registry, yeah. yeah. Oh, no, not even close, no. <laughs> so uh, those interested uh, in keeping a low profile have nine days to do so before uh, things get uh, paperwork-laden. We'll put it that way. Anyway, uh, on other news, uh, gas reaches a record high across the nation. Uh, I was to mention it to Darius before the show. I guess, uh, naturally, Alberta, Edmonton, and Calgary have the two lowest gas prices. Vancouver and Victoria have the two highest. Everywhere else is kind of in between. Uh, we're over two bucks a liter in some places around here. I think 217 in Vancouver, and it's supposed to jump again tomorrow morning. So, yay. Yeehaw. Uh, I've got a couple quick ones here. Um, with it being that time of year now, this spring, the weather's warming up. Uh, we're getting into tornado season. Um, so there's a little bit of a, uh, an article here. It's from, uh, University of Western Ontario. Uh, they have a thing called the, uh, Northern Tornado Project. And they've studied, uh, Environment Canada and tornadoes over the last three years. And the results are nothing short of shocking. Uh, basically their preliminary assessment is that, um, out of a staggering, or sorry, that reveals that a staggering 155 out of 221 tornadoes, so that's 70%, had absolutely no tornado warning when they hit, and only 28 out of 221, or 12.6%, actually had a tornado warning ahead of the touchdown. Uh, interestingly, the environment, climate change, whatever you want to call them, tornado warning performance over the last three years, including all tornadoes, is where the National Weather Service in the United States was in the late 80s and early 90s. So basically what I'm saying is don't trust Environment Canada for your weather. Uh, find somebody maybe you trust online. I follow a uh, 
I follow one called Instant Weather Ontario. Um, the guy live streams pretty good for uh, when stuff's going on. Uh, I was following him when the Barry tornado hit, mm -hmm. and eight minutes before the tornado touched down, he put a warning out about uh, rotation detected heading east from uh, Angus towards the south end of Barry. Three minutes before it hit, he said the uh, rotation is strengthening. Uh, then the tornado hit, and Environment Canada issued the tornado warning two minutes after the tornado was already on the ground. So um, if you're in the States, I know there's some people in the States. There's a really good guy down there called Ryan Hall. Uh, goes by the nickname of Ryan Hall Y'all. He's uh, got quite the reputation on uh, YouTube. He's got a bunch of storm chasers in his group. Um, check him out sometime. Check out some of his videos. They are they're they're pretty impressive. They get uh, the other night I was watching, and one of those storm chasers got within like probably twenty five or thirty feet of a of a tornado, and just kind of sat there and watched it go right by the front of his truck. So it's pretty interesting. So what those stats? Uh, the only other. Oh, I was no, sorry, say, go ahead again. What the stats don't say though is like seventeen and change percent of them, like you said, are are giving you warnings as it's happening, which is. Kind of not much better than a weather rock where, you know, if the rock is wet, it's raining. And if the rock is dry, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's sad when you think about it. Like, I mean, most of our training orders are happening south of 60, right? So where most of the population is, so we don't get any tornadoes in the high Arctic, I'm pretty sure. And uh, so you think there's well, a little better system than that. You'd have to ask the Ministry of the Environment and Climate Change if they know for sure, certain. That's true. Because, I mean, the science is always changing, as you know, so. Yep. Anyway, so anyways, uh, I'm sure as everybody who lives in Ontario hopefully is aware, we're having our provincial election on uh, the 2nd of June. Uh, we're not telling you, or at least I'm not telling anybody who to vote for, but I'm telling you to do your homework. Uh, don't just vote on personal feelings. Check them out. What are their policies? What promises are they making? Keeping in mind that most promises are never kept. Um at the end of the day, sometimes you just have to hold your nose and vote for the party that's going to do the least amount of damage. It's pretty bad when you have to vote for the least shittiest of the shittiest. So, um, but it is what it is. Do your homework. Don't just uh, don't just vote for or not vote for somebody because you just don't like them. Least shittiest so, of the shittiest. I like it. We're we're voting NDP, right? One hundred percent. Where's the where's the kick button? How do we get Andrew out of here? So, yeah, it's kind of like the douchebag in the turd crash sandwich. Crash shit, crash shit. <laughs> well, you might as well vote for accelerationism, like Andrew said. Like, I mean, you just 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 sink it faster, and uh, yeah. But no, I is I've kind of laugh because I mean, like that's the best three candidates they can come up with. I'm like, I'm not saying that my province is any better. I'm just saying that you know it's pretty sad when these three parties get together and try and figure out their their guy to get through the election or girl, and uh, that's the best three they can come up with. Yeah. And I, I wasn't going to say it, but I'll say it. Um, there's already been chatter around Ontario that if uh, Ford does not get a majority, that the Liberals and the NDPs are going to want to do a coalition and uh, try to run the government. Yeah, so they did in BC here. Yeah. Hey, Darius, you got a news article? Let's see if this is working again now. We can hear you. So it turns out antiviruses don't like reopening up the app. Um, so it looks like uh, Trudeau, in what was possibly a first for him under a full media blackout, um, paid a surprise visit to Ukraine. 
Um, nobody was aware of it until he arrived there, had a full tour with uh, Zelensky, and then decided to open up the Canadian embassy in Ukraine. Uh, did a full flag-raising ceremony there after two different attempts to... Um, which brings up the question for me. So, as far as I'm aware, embassies are considered to be the sovereign soil of whatever nation they belong to. So, if Russia does a missile strike and ends up hitting the Canadian embassy, is that considered a strike territory? Yeah, I mean, maybe, but what are we going to do? Sanction them? Exactly. <laughs> stop or I'll say stop again. <laughs> no, stop or he'll make an emergency order. He'll make an yeah. emergency declaration. There it's we go. Ban war, I suppose. Oh, there you go. Yeah. yeah. We could I try like using it. strong language. Perhaps we, we should ban missile strikes. That would probably work. Uh, that would. That's probably the way. Any what if we made them here? register their missiles? Oh. That nobody needs well, that why, many missiles. That's true. Why has Why has nobody thought of this? Brilliant. There we go. Tune in next month when I run yeah. for politics in Ontario. <laughs> Problem <laughs> solved. There we go. Everybody just registers their missiles. We're good to go. Yeah. I like it. Well, I mean, who needs that many missiles? It's true. Unregistered missiles. They need to be registered. <laughs> All right. Shall we move into what we've done lately for preps? So I did a little bit of food prep. Uh, did some gas rotation, as Ian mentioned before, the uh, stupidly outrageous prices get any more stupidly outrageous. Uh, after waiting two years because of uh, <laughs> our famous uh, coronavirus, I was able to finally get in and get my gun club orientation done so I can uh, start getting my sign-offs on my way to my full membership. And I did some more work on, on my uh, firewood for next winter. Awesome. It's about time you got in. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's been a long wait. Uh, for myself, got a whole bunch of rice into a bunch of Mylar bags. So I've been waiting to get that done. Finally got that finished up. Uh, common trend here this week, that's some fuel rotation. It's almost like fuel's going up in price or something. Uh, started getting all the summer toys out and getting them ready for oil changes and maintenance and, and all that fun stuff. And uh, done a lot of portable ham radio work at uh, Parks on the Air. And uh, last night was out with Jeff and we actually about was it five or six contacts in, we had a listener make contact with us. So that was kind of cool in a nerdy kind of way, of course. So <laughs> more on that later, so, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun. Uh, as for myself, same idea. Uh, finished the fuel rotation. Finally it took me a long time. I had six empty cherry cans, but after the news about tomorrow, I figured it's just best to get the things filled up. Um, so yeah, fuel rotation is done. As you know, May long weekend, everything's going to take a jump anyway. So, yeah, happy days mm -hmm. on that. Uh, yeah, common theme. Uh, they ran out of rice on the island here, basically, except for the small, like, high-end priced bags. So uh, I had grabbed some rice before. Same idea, threw them into some mylar, just to keep them preserved for now. Yeah. Did oil change on the generator. When I was fiddling around with the generator, test running it and all that stuff, uh, the little trailer I have, uh, it's been sitting on for, like, a couple of years now. It's finally given it up. I think I paid 40 bucks for it. And I've had to replace tires like three times because the the design of it is really faulty and the weight of the generator is too much for it. So I probably have to get a new ATV trailer or something used for it somewhere. Anyway, um, yeah. And then I got a couple 
actually got a bunch of hand tools from my dad a couple of weeks ago when I met up with him and it was going through those and he gave me like a, a one of those double uh, work light uh, halogen things mm-hmm. so you can uh, light up a room or a yard very easy and I decided rather than running a thousand watts I want to make sure I could run them off the generator easily so I changed them out to LEDs and yeah works perfectly uh, draws eight, 18 watts now or no sorry 28 watts instead of uh, a thousand so just a slight reduction mild reduction so yeah that's uh it's pretty good there so yeah uh pretty pretty mild week so nice sounds good and i picked up some supplies for planting got some new soil and um starts for potatoes i'm just waiting to get those into the soil till after our current bout of weather clears up i know they're expecting it to snow later on tonight or tomorrow morning so I'm uh, hmm. holding off for that before I actually get them into the ground. Um, and then been taking my ham radio course the last couple weeks. Uh, today was our fifth class, so slowly nice. plugging away at that. Really nice. Good luck you know what you stick it through. I, uh, I got to about, I don't know, five or six, and I was like, well... It's this, or I dig my eyes out with a spoon, so. <laughs> I see your eyes are still there, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't make it through the course, but I might challenge the exam anyway, because it's really not, doesn't look that hard. Yeah. No, when in I doubt, don't. answer C. Yep. Works in a lot of cases. Uh, I will. I will try to be brief, because I haven't been on the show lately, but I'm glad to be back. So things that are relevant to this show that I can share... Uh, I did an overnight hike on the Bruce Trail recently for the uh, the Verstaleka Remote Military March. So I did my 50 kilometers over two days in their recon division. It was delightfully atrocious. <laughs> Went out with uh, uh, some listeners and one of the other panelists from CPP. And yeah, it's good times. Uh, I've also been doing a bunch of pertinent to this topic reloading because it is that time of the year again when the shooting matches are starting up because everything is unfrozen Hmm. so we've had our first uh ontario rifle association precision rifle match so shooting out to 600 meters snaps rapids and moving targets we've had some outlaw rimfire precision series matches which fortunately are 22 and i do not need to reload for but i do get my little three dollar medal in so Thank you to Rick and company for sending those out. I do appreciate the $3 medals. And the end of this month, I'm training for the Resul Military March. Uh, So the Finnish Reserve Support Association puts on a four-day marching challenge. More more rucking. Lots of rucking. Lots of rucking and reloading. (laughs) Awesome. All right. Well, with all the rucking and reloading, how about we move into the main topic and focus on the uh, the reloading? All right. Uh, this is obviously a repeat of episode 38, which was probably done poorly and briefly. Anyway, so that's how we revisit it on uh, Darius, I guess, brought it up here, didn't we? So, yeah, it's time to start uh, talking about reloading again. Why are we talking about it? Uh, cost savings, especially nowadays. Like, uh, I don't know if you guys noticed, but the cost of ammo has gone up. Well, Maybe we ought to have a little discussion about the cost of that because I don't know how everybody's set for ammunition. I'd say I have about uh, two years worth Absolutely of my normal competition schedule, but it is incredibly hard to get components. 
And I have noticed a number of retailers that are gouging their customers. Somebody told me they wanted 160 bucks for a thousand large rifle primers the other day, and they were not particularly special large rifle primers. Because so I was thinking like, oh, I'm going to get like CCI Benchrest 2 or like Federal Gold Medal Match, some sort of reasonably high-end primer. And they were like, no, just like seller and ballot large rifle primer, 160 bucks a thousand. I had unkind things to say to the salesman. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't even that long ago. It was like 16 people. Sorry, Darius, you got to get cut off there. Yeah, I've been seeing people literally trying to get them seventeen bucks for a hundred for just the standard. Um, Who buys a hundred? Some people buy a hundred. I mean, that's like paying for ten minutes right. and using most of it to cuddle. That's. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are you gonna do with the extra eight minutes? <laughs> oh gosh. Anyway, do I need uh, to hit the explicit button? Of course. Wait. Anyway, awesome. Uh, I was talking about long-range shooting. What were you guys talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Something right about there? OnlyFans. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah six ninety-nine was kind of the, the go-to, I guess, for the longest time. Maybe five ninety-nine, four ninety-nine if you're really lucky for a hundred hundred uh, primers. And now it's like, like Andrew said, up to seventeen bucks. I saw some guy on CGN was offering. Oh, see, I said CGN uh, was offering primers lo- local sale only for I think it was like nineteen bucks a hundred. I was like, come on now. All right. Uh, suddenly, my two to three year supply of primers may be being reduced because that kid needs a college fund. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of funny. And the thing is, is that they'll go. People well, yeah, are so uh, short right now that selling them at those rates, they're disappearing. Well, I have I have noticed that that I mean, so ammo is expensive. Components to reload with have also gotten out of hand. Vista Outdoors that owns CCI and Federal? Do they own Olin? I don't think they own Winchester. Olin owns Winchester. I don't think Vista owns Olin. But, yeah, Olin's um, its own stock. The majority of U.S. primer supplies have basically been rerouted to domestic manufacture. So they're not going to be selling primers effectively. CCI and Federal primers are basically going to be unobtainium for the next probably 24 to 36 months because everything is just going to their own manufacturing lines to try and keep up with demand in the U.S. So, yeah, and they always have to supply the U.S. market before they even think about exporting too, right? Well, and that's the, that's the thing. CCI and Federal, they're going to stay domestic. They're going to go into their domestic ammunition production. So primers are, I think, going to be challenging to come by. There are some European options, but I don't... I don't think that they're going to be uh, highly available or reasonably priced. Yeah, there's those Croatian primers too, right? Uh, well, and don't forget about the Bosnian blammers. <laughs> yeah, and then they got the uh, the Chetite ones for shotguns out of France, and I think it's what our Challenger shells used in Canada. But which uh, I mean, it's an option, and the same with powder. You can get, and I will say it wrong because I do not speak the Scandinavian languages. Viti Vituri. Close enough. The Lapua brand uh, powder. Vitori. Yeah. That's the one, uh, which I know is coming in through some of the distributors, but again, European, and it's in a strange, it's measured in kilograms instead of pounds, and it's very confusing. Yeah, there's always Dominion powders. 
I'd rather not. No, we'd rather not. No. So I, I, I would be curious if anybody has run the cost savings lately, because I have not. I do not reload to save money. Well, I reload to make a better product. Yeah, again, so like cost savings is either you can, you know, it used to be you could reload for almost half the price or shoot twice as much, you know. So, like, does anybody really save money or do you just shoot more? Uh, now it's it's a mild savings, but it's maybe as you collect components, you could actually still have a supply of ammo versus nothing. Didn't well, I, I think, think that's what I'm taking mine as. And I guess you had to be prepared. See, see it's a, bringing it uh, back around to the. What a, what a concept. Eh? Well, well done. Well if you if you had everything, if you're like me and went through many many ammunition shortages over the last couple of years, basically every time the Americans have elections, we have an ammo shortage, and basically every time there's any threats of gun control anywhere in the world, we have an ammunition shortage. So I always just buy ammunition. Every time that Justin Trudeau tells a lie, I buy another box and I put it away for a rainy day. So as a result, I have to seriously look into repairing some foundation stuff in my house, but that's a different problem. That's that's a lot of I'm lies. slowly getting to that point as well. It's gonna be uh yeah. every time I go for powder from now on, I'm just gonna jump straight up to the eight pound jugs, I think. Well, and I I think if you're doing any just kind of serious reloading outside of maybe like hunting reloading, and I don't know if uh, many people that hunt are really keen reloaders. I feel like those are very different groups of people. Some guys but, like to, uh, to, to I guess, fine-tune their hunting loads if they keep the same rifle for 30 years and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I've seen a few. I, I do think that that would offset some of that reliance on the panic buying because we do have that cyclical every four years. The Americans have a run on ammo because there is an election. Yeah, I mean, look the, at 2022 20, pre-Trump even was you know going crazy because there was a gun ban threatened there. And even during Trump's time, I mean, people were still hoarding 22, and now it hasn't gotten any better. So... You know, you it see is a, not. Yeah, you see the odd brick or two showing up. It's like people clean them out. I saw some CCI standard there in uh, in the local uh, gun shop. There's like I think he's there's ten bricks left. But when he said he got it, it was three days before he got like two hundred bricks show up and just like a bunch of vultures. He just picked it clean in a couple of days. Well, and I I mean I'm one of those vultures. I suppose I walked into one of the local gun stores recently. I was in a nearby city visiting somebody and I was like, oh, I'm going to stop in the gun store on my way home because it's convenient and they're open. And they happen to have a bunch of bricks of SK rifle, which is what my precision 22 likes and my sniper partner, his precision 22 likes. So I'm just, I just all, all of the SK rifle that you have, I will just take all of it because it was not unreasonably priced and I haven't been able to find it for a year. Now I have a two years worth. Now I have almost three years worth, but it's, not going to go bad and today's dollars are going to be worth worth more than tomorrow's dollar so may as well buy it now Does anybody else feel awkward when they mentioned 500 rounds of 22 being a stockpile in the media <laughs> didn't feel awkward at all this is an internet show yeah oh well, yeah it, and i mean sometimes you see uh you know where there may have been a raid or a search warrant that happened or something and yeah they'll they'll say yeah, we seized uh, copious amounts of uh, of ammunition, and you read further down, it's like, yeah, they they seized a couple of hundred rounds of this and hundred rounds of that, and it's like, yeah, you have no idea what their copious amounts of their copious amounts of ammo was a a good day at the range. Yeah, a yeah, single day. It's 
it's more of a problem when you have to start worrying about getting a magazine license because you have enough powder that Natural Resources Canada gets on your case about it. <laughs> Before it becomes an official magazine or something. Getting there. Yeah. Looking at what color the sign's going to be. All right. Um, yeah, so obviously we're going to be shopping around before you buy any of our reloading components. Uh, like you just mentioned, Andrew, Costco Real Supply, right? Because if it's there now, it won't be tomorrow. Well, buy it cheap and stack it deep. And I, I mean, this applies to reloading components as much as factory ammo. It's not really going to go bad, and it is getting to be expensive and hard to come by. And I really, I really hope somebody's going to run the numbers and tell me what the cost per round is now on today's prices. And maybe when I'm not talking, I'll do a little quick interning and work out what like a, you know, something boring like a regular 308 round is worth new versus. I can reloaded. punch the number right now for 308 and 223. Go for it. I've been keeping I'd, track I'd be of curious what, what that, what that compares like, because it used to be, say, three or four years ago, last time I ran the numbers, pre-COVID, before the last plague, there was definitely cost savings with rifle calibers and it tended to be the larger the caliber of ammunition the more the cost savings was and if you started to get into boutique calibers in particular with pistol ammunition i don't think there was as much of a cost savings but you have the advantage if you're shooting a lot of pistol ammunition you're probably shooting a competitive sport so downloading the ammunition to the least powerful requirement is advantageous which Factory ammo tends to be uh, more powerful than is required for many handgun sports, IPSC, IDPA, and so on. So being able to download that ammo to be uh, less uh, obnoxious to shoot is advantageous. Small cost savings as well because you're using like marginally less powder. But I mean, very, very small difference in the amount of powder that you're using in a pistol cartridge. But when you start getting into rifle calibers, especially long action and boutique calibers, there tended to be a lot of cost savings there. Yeah, I think with a pistol, you were getting more consistent loads, uh, whether it was downloaded or regular loads. Uh, I don't know about pistol being more consistent because pistol is not a particularly accurate firearm to get, begin with because it's very small sight radius and it's kind of an awkward thing to shoot. But well, if you have a pistol caliber carbine... If you have a pistol caliber carbine, I mean, I do see advantages to that. If you're shooting up Scry PA, why shoot more powerful ammo than is required? Yeah. Or if you're shooting, say, Cowboy, why shoot 357 when you can shoot a 38 Special with one grain of um, the name of the shotgun powder they use escapes me now. All right. When okay. you can, yeah. yeah, when you can use one grain of shotgun powder in your 357 cartridge, why load anything more than that? Yeah. But yeah, the rifle uh, was definitely better off to reload than pistol for sure. Um, right now, I think I, I saw two two three recently. It's pushing ninety cents a round just for bulk blaster ammo right now in the store. If it's if it's there, but yeah, if it's there, which is getting to be last time I terribly went, ridiculous. Last time I went, I was looking twenty five dollars a box for twenty rounds, um, and that was for some of the cheaper stuff that I found in the store. That's getting into pretty ridiculous tor- territory. I don't I don't work out the price of ammo anymore because it just terrifies me. And I don't keep track of what it, things cost me when they bought them because I'm still working on powder from 2018. So I feel like it's uh, not an apples to apples comparison for me to work out whatever the price was when I bought it. Was that four years ago? 
as long as it's stored in a temperature controlled environment, it doesn't really go bad. It's in a sealed container, at least until you open it the first time. And as long as you keep it somewhere cool and dry, it doesn't like temperature swings and it doesn't like a lot of humidity, but as long as it's cool and dry, it generally doesn't go bad per se. It doesn't even cake up uh, as long as you don't open it up either. So that's good. Well, that's what I mean. Until you open it up to use it, it's it's sealed. And as long as it's cool and dry, it's not going to go... Mm-hmm. It's not going to spoil quickly on you. I'm sure eventually there's a shelf life on it and it'll go bad. But I'm again, I'm loading pistol powder that's four years sitting on the shelf in the reloading room and it's happy and content and just fine. Yeah, yeah as long as it's kept in a cool right place, it'll last quite a long time. To give you an idea for uh, two, two, three right now, um, and I calculated at it about five hundred rounds because that's what I'm currently loading in um, at about five hundred a time, and um, there's almost three hundred dollars in savings for me to reload it myself compared to buy that many. Well, that is an impressive. That is an impressive figure. So you're. What are you loading two, two, three, four? Then about twenty-five, thirty cents a round. Um, I actually got it down to about seventy cents a bullet, like seventy cents a round to reload myself for fifty-five grains, just running cam pros. Okay. Yeah, it's not cost uh, savings, sir. It's a little bit, but I mean, it's not massive like it used to be for sure. Well. Compared to stores right now, it's almost a dollar twenty, dollar twenty-five around. I had no idea it was that high. For this manufacturer, two, two, three. Yeah, so that's there. So I guess the more the more you reload, the faster you're going to pay off your equipment anyway, right? Yeah. Well, I think there is that startup cost piece of it, right? You do need all of the equipment. It's not just going out and buying the the four components that you need. The 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 bullet, like the actual projectile, the case, the primer, the powder. You also need a way to manufacture it into something usable. The mini pipe bombs, yeah. I mean, it is, but... For lack of a better thing. Oh, goodbye, YouTube. Ah, I say, I say that out loud. <laughs> no, I mean, you gotta, that's why you got to be careful, too. It is like it is technically a, a mini explosive device, so you got to make sure that you're not yep. like getting sloppy with your work. I mean, because... You know, a little bit I mean, of different yes, but powder. no, but it's propellant. It's not an explosive. That's true. And I mean, it no. also depends on on how far you want to go with the machine, how much automated you want. Whether you want a single stage press, one that will that has you know four stations. So every time you pull the handle, you get a live round pop out the end, and or if you uh, do it with a single or a dual stage press. The, the cost well, sure, there is uh, talk through the sort of the options with if you're going to go look for reloading equipment what what the basics are that you need to get covered off yeah I guess we can start with equipment first uh, it's right down at the bottom here so I'll just uh, take a look at that for right off the bat so yeah first things first uh, safety first as Alan would say so PP if you're going to start dealing with the uh, used brass picking it up off the range floor or whatever or even your, your once fired brass after you dealt with it you need a uh, dust mask if you are out on the range dealing with uh, dirt or anything else. But uh, gloves for sure. Uh, you're an eye pro when you're at the range anyway, can't hurt. Uh, uh, a very small tangent on this. Yes. 
as a, a person who has been diagnosed with elevated blood lead levels that has taken me the entire two years of the pandemic to get under control because of the reduced shooting and the inability to use certain indoor facilities because of the pandemic, PPE is really important. Don't just listen to the guy in the white hat at the work site. Elevated blood lead levels suck. Take my well, word for it. And yeah, uh, I think it was Trevor from uh, Slamfire had the same issue too, right? Like he was talking about that on his uh, show quite a bit and took him a long time to get over it. It does. You can, um, as long as you have not actually been poisoned, um, you can recover from it, as I have. But it takes some work. And I suspect that the reloading is actually the thing that I got the most lead exposure from aerosolized lead from dry media tumbling particularly which is exactly what's going to talk about next so this is one thing that changed from the last episode that we did with reloading i think i recommended the lyman turbo 1200 tumbler with the corn cob media and stuff um yeah my bad i'm going to uh walk away from that one for sure i sold mine and went over to the frankfurt arsenal with the steel pins and the tumbler system Yes, I yes. am all about the wet steel tumbling. It is a far superior system. And when I was young and single and didn't live in a big apartment, I used to reload in my kitchen. And guess where my tumbler ran all day when I was at work? Yeah, same thing with my shed. Yeah, so your is, kitchen? Yeah, yeah. my, sh- yeah. my shed is probably a, a hazmat uh, special right now. But yeah, I went to the steel pin tumbling, with uh, which is wet, with the you know, basically let me shine and a little bit of dawn in there. And it's, yeah, that, that scuzzy water pour that out that's what you normally be breathing in so that's perfect um so i'm much happier with the steel pin uh tumbling i'll be switching to the same as soon as i can so don't drink the water uh no it is not a cocktail mix at all got it okay no um would a lifestyle work for it the the forbidden water should not be consumed yeah i I wouldn't trust that even with Uh, with the sawyer because we don't like straw stuff right but uh there it is so waiting for that yeah (laughs) <laughs> the, of course, with the tumbler, you have to get a dehydrator or some means of drying the brass efficiently. Anyway, however you want to do it. Maybe you want to hang them and on a very small tangent because I am cheap and lazy, as are most people that reload and shoot. Yes. I put it in the mechanical room where the, dehi- uh, the dehumidifier is already running and just oh. leave it for 24 hours. There you go. Well, around here where it's like 98% humidity on a dry day. Yeah, um, I can't help you in your environment. You live in a rainforest. Yeah, so the dehydrator is a must, so I run that little bad boy overnight. Especially the 223 brass, if you don't have the primers popped out, that stuff will take forever, so you got to make sure that you know everything's dry before you start moving on to the next step. So, yeah, means of cleaning brass is what we're talking about. Um, you're also going to need to well, find... Do you need to clean the brass, though? Well, after you pick it up off the range floor, I'm sure you do, yes. Do you? Yes, you must do. You. Yes, you must. must you. I would say you must, especially after you fired it too. I mean, it's going to be dirty and going to need some cleaning. Or do you not clean yours? Just, I don't know that, strictly speaking, if it is required, and I go to probably a greater degree than is necessary with my cleaning I, regime for my brass. I can't think of anybody that isn't suffering from the tism that reloads in some way, shape, or form. So I can't imagine somebody not cleaning brass. Because, I mean, if you don't, you're going to have that dirty brass going up into your resizing die, in which case... One, I think that would be the part that I would be particularly concerned about is actually damaging the dyes or causing a multi-station press to get locked up from dirt and debris. 
Yeah, scratching up the inside of the first die for one, and uh, not to mention requiring a cleaning of said die more often. Um, yeah, and this is another one of those. I keep hearing that you can damage the dies, but the dies are made out of steel, and dirt is made out of dirt, so I'm not really convinced of this. Well, dirt also has little bits of sand and rock in it, too. Like, you know, that would be something that could, you know, sand, sc- scrape, etch the die, maybe? Maybe. The, well, I'm... the, the more um, damage is caused by getting a, the those grains caught in there once you're actually putting a fresh case in, and then you're just talking about the high pressures... You know, for sand and rock and stuff like that, just rubbing up against the sides of your dies, it'll just scratch it. I don't think I could in good conscience do it anyway, so I'd, I'd have to clean it first. No. no, I clean all of mine. I just was curious if there was somebody that was being especially lazy. <laughs> no, I, I can't see that. We do know somebody that shall remain nameless that chose not to resize 223 ever, which I thought was a little bit odd too, but especially when he first came across said brass, but. Anyway. I yeah I probably take this to a degree higher than it needs to be, but yeah. be where you where your PPE and seriously I think look into wet steel tumbling it produces a better quality product and it's more hygienic for you. It'll make me feel better if you don't get uh, elevated blood lead levels. Well, the nice thing is it also guarantees a better wash of the inside, so you get the same case volume, which would be mm. the same result. Well, pressures. again, if we're if we're stroking that part of the reloading <laughs> press, are you, um, I don't know, maybe this is worth, I, Ian, I know you reload, I reload, Darius reloads, I don't know if everybody reloads, but are you the kind of person that also deprimes the brass before you clean it? It depends on which type of brass we're talking. So 308, yes. Uh, first time I've got the 223, yes. Um, pistol, no. Most of mine all or most of mine, I'll tumble first and then deprime it afterwards. I can clean the primer pocket separate, but it's a absolute pain to pick media out of the primer pockets. Yeah, it's, you don't have to worry about that with steel pins. But oh. I cannot say that I've really had that problem with the steel pins. They usually come right out for me. Yeah, they always come out for me too. I'm still waiting I... to upgrade through the steel pins. Ah, okay. Then that I could see that being an issue. So with the tumbler and dehydrator versus the, or sorry, the steel pin tumbler anyways, you're also going to need to, I guess, an efficient media get the steel pins out. So do you have one of those uh, bingo ball kind of swishers that looks like a, I don't know. Media separator. Media separator, yes. thank you. Yeah. You can need one of those for sure. Uh, moving on, case lube for resizing your uh, your brass is another piece of uh-huh. equipment you're going to need. There is there no, so, no such thing as too much lube. Actually, no I can... Definitely guarantee that there is, especially if you're using aerosol <laughs> lube. Um, you will destroy cases if you put too much of the aerosol lube on them before trying to put them into a die. They will lock up inside that die so hard you will have to hammer it out. I and so I was being a little bit facetious. It is definitely possible to cause the press to not work <laughs> properly due to lubrication issues. <laughs> there are, of course, many kinds of lubrication. I think what uh, Andrew was dropping was a what you call the double entendre. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, uh, case loop, and of course, with pistol, 
uh, rounds you can actually if you have carbide dies you technically don't need to lubricate them but i kind of i'm gonna it. go ahead and call bs on that much yeah. like, like not i have heard people not cleaning their brass i've heard of people not lubricating their brass i understand on like straight wall pistol cases straight you wall. can not but like man just do it it runs so much better it's so yeah. much easier for a little bit of hornady one shot i do it anyway like i mean i have carbide dies for all my pistol stuff but i just throw a little hornady on it for sure um should we carry on well can i can i blow everybody else's mind with another like weird reloading thing that i've learned after doing this for a decade yes the the very best lubrication that i have found for any kind of cases straight wall bottleneck whatever i know what it is what's that do you pam 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 cooking spray i was just gonna say we're not talking about a person right I mean, you could be, but I mean the cooking spray that you buy for like $2 for like a ba- an aerosol can. And I mean, yeah, I'm probably like blowing a hole in the ozone layer, but whatever. What's it ever done for me? That's right. Is the, uh, the wax is a pain in the butt to apply. The Hornady one shot has a weird drying time and sometimes does not dry uh, evenly. And sometimes is too heavy on one side of the brass versus the other. And it is difficult to get it to even out for me. Because it's not very lubricious. It does not flow nicely. But uh, gallon Ziploc bag, handful of brass, spray the Pam for a second, shake the bag vigorously. It is the cheapest, most effective lubricant that I have found for any kind of case. Interesting. Everybody, a lot of time. Take that and stick it in your pipe local gun store that wants to charge me $15 for 100 grams of imperial sizing wax. And I have not been able to find Hornady One Shot at a reasonable price in Canada. I used to get it when I did uh, shopping transporter, but obviously that's not happening anymore. So, yeah, I, I might have to switch over to the Pam trick for sure. Because while the Hornady One Shot works great for the uh, the hair clippers and stuff like that, for other other stuff around the, the, the household. I'm uh, sure it does. But yeah, it does not work there. So this is my little like trick for your like listeners. That. If you want to save money reloading, which you do because you're reloading, buy your case lubricant in the cooking oil aisle. Save a fortune. Good to know. Yeah, it's way cheaper. Um, should we go uh, full full on with the presses and dies choice? Ah, uh, yes. So many choices of presses. What do you want to reload and why? Yeah, so uh, let's just ammo say, to shoot. Yeah, well, let's start with the the beginner level. I would recommend a single stage for a beginner, Andrew. Oh, well, before we go to the beginner level, you and there's another point in your decision tree to consider. Do you want to do me- metallic cartridge reloading or do you want to do shotgun reloading? Yeah, but oh, shotgun reloading has got that extra step in there and have to match up wads and hulls and everything else is it's too much for the average right joke. so if you're going to do shotgun reloading you probably have a very good reason for it because you cannot save money loading shotgun ammo and that was on prices five years ago i don't think much has changed because challenge are still really cheap and lead is expensive so i don't think you're making any money loading shotgun ammo the exception to that is maybe if you're loading your own slugs shotgun is its whole own set of requirements, its own presses, its process is slightly different as a result because you're not doing metallic cartridge. Should we stick to metallic cartridge now that that's out the way, though? Yeah, I just took the tip in just to see how it felt on shotgun, and basically you're right. Unless, unless you're doing buckshot or slugs, you are not saving money, so I got rid of everything. 
So I think yeah. that YouTube is definitely kicking us because now we've mentioned lube, wads, and just the tip. <laughs> well, you had to summarize it. Well, you know, it's. I just figured I'd round that up, make life easier for the moderators on YouTube. You could have it's just, been fun. Oh. Just let it slide. You know. <laughs> oh, there we go. Uh, uh, there. Uh, so yeah. sticking in the metallic cartridge reloading. Uh, Depending on your application, I think that the, uh, the the two things to consider are precision and volume. Uh, so if you had your your fire triangle of reloading, uh, it is the the volume, the cost, and the time. If you want to make it more complicated, you can add precision to that. It's more moving parts make things less repeatable. Yeah, and more money makes things go faster. And more money makes things go faster. And, I mean, in theory, you can load a lot of precision ammo relatively quickly, but it's hard to accomplish. Yeah. So, so making things easy. Single-stage press to start? Single-stage press to start, because I think that's the also the biggest saving if you focus on either precision or even, like, just bulk 308 or something. That's where you're going to get yeah. some, some cost savings. So I would recommend to start... Everybody start with a single-stage press, because even for if it's just decapping... Uh, uh, the brass get the primer out it just can't hurt right yeah, I, I agree I think having a single exactly. stage press is great and having a single stage press single stage is just one operation at a time the ram goes up the ram goes down if you want to do different things you have to change out the dies you have to change out parts on it but as a result highly repeatable because it only has one moving part the ram goes up the ram goes down yeah less chance of making a mistake Oh, Darius less chance of making a mistake, yeah. less chance of variation from one uh, one cartridge to the next. I'm fascinated by watching Darius move his RAM <laughs> up and down. Ooh. What is that? I hope the listeners at home can, can see that. that. looks like our RCBS rock chucker. I, this one is actually much, much older. It is a vintage one. It's actually a swaging press that I managed to get. Yeah, that is the old C-Press. Those are really old, for sure. Yeah, this thing, but it has worked flawlessly for me ever since I got it. And I got it as part of a package that had everything I need to start, including dies, for 200 bucks. So the newer RCBS was the was the Rock Chucker 4, was the latest and greatest. However, what, so two months ago, they came up with the, the Rebel series, which is the, mm -hmm. uh, the newest, latest, and greatest RCBS product, which... Uh, I wish I had, but anyway, uh, simplified the process quite a bit. It's basically just a big hydraulic ram. They've gotten rid of the priming system and everything else and made it like super easy for beginners with lots of workspace around it. Um, nice. But it's a $300 single-stage press. So hmm. $330 or something right now. But um, Well, I, uh, blow your mind, Ian. Go look up Area 419 and look at what their, their presses are going for because I kind of want one for reasons. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, it's got the... Uh, Rock Trucker sitting there. There you so go. That's, that's what I've been using lately. I was on the uh, the Lee Challenger for the longest time, and then I just decided enough of that. So um, got rid of that, and uh, back to the, the RCBS. Yeah, I think it would. Would any of you ever, under any circumstances, consider a turret press? Yeah, if I was going to go to a turret press, I would go straight to the uh, progressive, like the Dylan. Yeah. Yeah. Same, and that's the so I have a single stage, and I have a set of a pair of progressive presses for different things. So the problem is with the 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 
the, what do you call those, uh, the turret presses. Basically, you're not really saving a whole lot of labor. You're still having to just turn the press and still do a single, you know, you're basically doing one bullet at a time. Whereas the progressive... I think the, the only advantage to the turret press is if you were, say, loading a single caliber, you could set all of your dies once and then not have to mess with them. Yeah. Um, whereas the progressive is basically, it's like a slot machine that always pays, right? Like every time you pull the handle, you kind of get around spitting out. and it's just, uh, Funny, every time I pull the handle, it costs me money, but... Well... <laughs> Maybe I'm doing it wrong. At least you get a finished product every time, so it might cost you much too. But which I think that probably um, deserves a a small explanation. A progressive press every time that you pull the handle, uh, unlike a single stage where the ram just goes up and down and a single operation is completed. Every time that you pull the handle on the progressive, a tool head or case uh plate or some other apparatus moves a collection of cases and different progressives have different numbers of stations on them i think uh, the normal size is around five or six i think some of the really big ones is seven mm -hmm. i think there i think there's one uh there's one larger press at seven stations i think and the name of it escapes me now and it's probably something very exciting like it's got the number seven in it it's a, more of a semi-commercial pro grade kind of a machine it's all automated from the factory. The name of it escapes me now. But every every operation happens at the same time. So there's a set of dies that live on the press in a tool head or in some other apparatus. And a collection of cases go through each of the operations simultaneously per operation of the arm. And at the beginning or end of the press stroke, something indexes all of the cases to the next position. So you'll have to You'll have to pull the arm, say, five times in a five-station press to get a completed cartridge, but it's doing five different things at the same time. So you have, uh, depending on how your press is set up, of course, D-prime, resize, flare, drop powder, uh, bell the case mouth, drop the bullet, seat the bullet, uh, maybe crimp. Which yeah. I know is nine different steps, but depending on how you're set up and what you're loading, because you may or may not do all of those steps for every caliber. That's straight wall two, versus. That's something to do two steps at the same time, right? Depending on the dies right. and everything else. Uh, quick question from Chris. Uh, as far as brands go, how would you rank the brands from best to worst? In terms of uh, if I didn't like you, I'd tell you to go buy a Lee. And if I did like you, I'd tell you to go buy literally anything else. Lee's just less expensive. That's all it is, and as a result, um, you're you'll get you're going to get more variance. There's um, more tolerances in the tool. As a result, the more expensive tools tend to have tighter tolerances. But pretty much everybody that makes reloading equipment has a lifetime warranty, and if you call them, they will fix your stuff. And I've never heard of a reloading company not doing that. And because it's such a small industry, it really I don't think matters a whole ton. There's personal preferences around which die system you like and how to set the dies and like only rcbs makes micrometer dies unless you go to like really high-end custom dies because then you can go to like pacific tool engage and get custom micrometer dies but then that's hundreds of dollars whereas if you go buy the rcbs micrometer dies that's like a hundred dollars so significant difference in price point but most of it is like do you like dewalt or milwaukee do you like ford or chevy yeah, I mean, honestly, I think, yeah, Lee would be at the bottom. Redding, arguably, could be at the top. And then all the other ones, like RCBS, Hornady, Lamin, are kind of all interchangeable in the middle. 
And the the one that I will say that is uh, surprised me lately is Frankfurt Arsenal. Well, they're more they have come out with some new and inventive stuff. Frankfurt Arsenal was kind of it used to be, in my opinion, a like a lower grade, uh, lower tier company. Yeah. Lately, Frankfurt has come out with some reasonably innovative tools, and their new progressive press looks fantastic. Yeah. You can also get into like weird one-off cases. Like there's there's a company that makes arbor presses for bench rest shooting that you can take to the range with you, and it's just a whole little own contained unit. You can reload while you shoot if you're in a bench rest shooting, and that's a thing you do. But that's not a super common endeavor. A lot. Of, I, I don't think the vast majority of people are going to be loading ammo as they're at the range shooting their ammo. It's a very, no, and I think there's specialized a really press. highly recommended against doing that. Yeah, and no, that, that doesn't mean there's not places a, that do that, and there's not bench press shooters that that's what they're doing because they're changing their loads as they're as they're shooting. Especially for the uh, conditions, especially like they they can't load for all weather conditions and all you know because they're they're right down to the the nitty gritty as far as like tinkering with their loads. So right, so um, when you start getting into some of that, but in the in the in the big in the big names, Lee's probably at the bottom. Uh, RCBS, Hornady are, I would say, about equal. I prefer the way that Hornady does their dies over RCBS, but that said, I also have RCBS dies for some calibers because sometimes yeah. they're better. Well, and they're easy to find. Like uh, either the local gun store or whatever always has a rack of used dies as well as CGN, of course. Uh, yeah. You know, you can get used dies for about 40 bucks a pop, you know, for a set. And that's, for a set. Yeah, it's pretty good. I mean, that's it's not bad. And, uh, um, going going beyond that, I think Redding is generally considered a higher tier brand. Dylan is very, I think, special case. Dylan makes progressive reloading machines. That's that's their thing. They make a couple of other niche specialty tools like swagers. So if you want to swage your primer pockets, the Dylan Super Swage, I think it's the Super Swage 6000. I forget what its number is. 600? 600, yeah. Six something. They're the company that you buy the swager from because they make the best swager. But it's a very boutique type of tool if you're primer pocket swaging because you have crimped brass that you need to swage the primer pocket in order to reload. Dylan's big thing is that they do progressive reloading machines very, very well. And up until recently, they were the company that you could buy the tools to make automated reloading machines with. Uh, AmmoBot and other companies were making add-on parts for Dylan's. For me, I pretty much just run um, either the Hornady or um, the Lee just because it was cheap and available. And Lee's also yeah. good for very niche uh, cartridge types. Like, for example, if you want to find like 6.5 Japanese uh, dies, you won't find them in anything other than Lee nowadays um, or some other random Mauser cartridge like that. But by the same token, though, yeah, the the quality is, is there between the, the Hornady or the RCBS or that kind of level. Uh, well, and everybody has a lifetime warranty, and yeah. I, I've never heard of a bad experience with a reloading, uh, reloading equipment manufacturer. If you break something, you oh, call yeah. them and tell them you broke it, and they generally will send you a new one. I think I've had to pay postage a couple of times, but not not a big deal. Uh, moving on, trimming cases. Should we talk about that? Yes. Should you? Yes, I think we should. So as you fire bottlenecked cases... No, no, I mean, should you should you trim your cases? Should we trim the cases? Well, yes, I would uh, generally recommend that as you first receive it, if it's used or uh, 
if it's not, I guess you could probably just measure it, make sure it's uh, within spec, but you want to keep it down to semi-spec as far as the overall length of the case, right? So you don't get it jammed up in the chamber. Well, again, this is one of those things. I have a, I have a, an acquaintance who swears that he has never once trimmed 223 and runs it through semi-auto 223 rifles without ever having, an, having experienced a problem. I'm not saying you can't do it. I just don't know that I would do it. Yeah, and I think that 223, because it's, I'll say, quote unquote, a lower powered bottleneck cartridge compared to like a, you know, a 33 at Lapua or a 308 or something, those ones are obviously going to stretch. Maybe the 223 isn't stretching that much for him. He only gets two, three uses out of them, but then he tosses them. Who knows, right? I don't know, but that is one of those things. Again, I've heard of people not trimming their cases, and it's one of those, I can't. I can't, I can't not, do, not it. do it because yeah. I get the micrometer out and I measure and I follow what the book says. And when it hits the trim length, there are lots of great trimming tools available. Trimming is horribly tedious and requires at least three steps plus measuring. So you need to trim, chamfer, and deburr your cases. But yes, there's automated systems that can do it in a, in a drill press or a drill chuck. Uh, there's also ones you can do it manually. There's also little pilot crank cases that you can actually do. Uh, but generally you're going to need to do it in some way, shape, or form to get a consistency of shot, which leads to accuracy, but not for pistol brass if it's straight wall. Don't need to do it. No, because pistol brass will just fail. Yeah, it won't stretch uh, lengthways. It'll just fail eventually. You might get 10, 12 uses out of it, but okay, eventually it'll fail. But uh, rifles, you're only going to get three to, what's the max you've seen? I don't know, six, seven uses top stops uh, mm. before it's... Almost it's hard to tell. I I think that I the the longest life two two three that I saw was ten loadings before failure. Yeah, but that's fifty five grain planking ammo that's not running with a lot of powder behind it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Whatever trimming tool you want to get. Uh, I think you use the world's finest trimmer as well, Ender. I use a bunch of different trimmers. I like the world's finest case trimmer from Little Crow Gunworks because I bought it from Brownells when it was cheap and easy to import. Mm -hmm. And you chuck it into a drill and you put your headphones on and you listen to Great Big C for three hours and you just put cases in it. Perfect. Mm -hmm. That's exactly but what I, also, I do too. Oh, yeah. Also yeah. an Alan Doyle fan. Excellent. Well, maybe not Great Big C per se. He's actually a nice guy when you meet him. Very nice guy. Uh, but moving along, uh, yeah, the world's finest trimmer is the fastest way to do it because it's like two to three seconds sitting there in the drill press and it's, it's done. Uh, the other ways are much, much slower. But uh, uh, I, I do have a lathe trimmer that I use for my precision ammo um, just because I'm particularly tedious about that. It's, it's, I'm, I'm loading precision ammo for precision reasons. So there are extra steps involved just for consistency sake, not for yeah. strictly speaking because it's required. There is a good system. Again, the Frankfurt Arsenal has a planetary gear drive case trimmer that has all the stations all set up on it at once that I, if I could part with the $300, I would really consider getting because you put it in and it trims and you set the guide once and you don't mess with it. And then you do the other steps all in one go. And I don't have to keep rehandling brass because that is my, single biggest complaint about reloading is I don't touch a piece of brass less than like five times before I get a loaded case out of it, and it's kind of annoying. I'm running the line. A lot of rounds for payback on that. They'll just drop 300, $300 on a uh, trimmer, though. Yeah, but I don't know. If I was still shooting a high volume of 223, it might be worth it, but not uh, not these days. No. Um, after you finish trimming, we're going to need to go to a case prep station of some sort. 
Yes. The References. Lyman Prep Center or Hornady's got the Case Prep Trio or Frankfurt Arsenal makes their Case Prep Center. There's lots of options, but chamfer, deburr the case mouth, clean out the primer pocket, swage if necessary. Yeah, case uh, primer pocket, reamer, whatever, however you want to yeah. uh, describe it. I uh, I use the line myself. It's five five uh, stations, and kind of once it's, once you start and stop, it's it's all prepped, ready to go. And uh, yeah, much faster than trying to do each one with a hand tool, right? For sure. All right. Uh, as far as other equipment goes, with that, you're going to need a primer, or just a way of priming the cases, which I recommend two different ways to do it at least. Of course, for mm. redundancy. Let's see if I get uh, get on Ian's train of thought here. The manual case pump thingy primer. Yeah, what Darius is holding up, a a manual primer, primer, manual yep. hand primer. Put one case in, squeeze the hand tool and it loads one primer into the bottom of one cartridge yep there's also the uh the dillons of course will automatically feed a primer in for you uh so you don't have to worry about that you just load a tower full of primers um there's also the ones that are on like the rcbs uh, rock trucker that you can actually physically add one i suppose at a time if you really want to but uh want to have at least a couple different ways to do it for sure i like the on press ones again depending on what i'm loading precision ammo is different and I do those ones on a manual tool so I can actually feel the seating depth because I can't feel on the progressive press. I know if it goes in or not, but I can't feel how far it went. Yeah. So you say it's recabbing on the sides, but you might not reach bottom? Yeah. Well, and that's on, on the progressive, uh, at least on my progressives, I can feel the, the primer being accepted into the case but I can't tell if it's seated correctly or not. And it's not uncommon for me to crunch a primer and destroy it because it feeds unevenly or awkwardly. And on a pistol primer, I used to not really care so much. Although with the prices today, I may start to care a little bit more. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, no, I mean, if you, if you get it sideways, you'll, you'll know. And I just ended up popping the old one out and trying it again and making sure that that primer pocket's got a nice little chamfer on it, so to speak. For if sure. Uh, you're also going to need powder dispenser and scales of some sort. Some way to uniformly mm-hmm. drop and consistently drop powder into the case. So whether it be um, a... Again, two ways to do that. You can volumetrically do it or you can do it by weight. And with weight, you can do it digitally or the old balance beam scale type. Yeah. Do you, do you use balance beam? I'm asking him because he's probably old enough to remember how balance beam scales work. I, as a matter of fact, have one handy. Yes, matter of fact. Oh, but, uh, naturally, naturally. Yes, yes. Actually, I decided to do the off-grid thing to see if I could make it work. And yeah, sure enough, uh, the old Dillon Precision makes a very nice little balance beam scale. Um, very accurate. Actually, I would argue just as accurate as the digital, if not more so. Um, yeah, as long as the teeth are in good shape, the balance beam scales work well. And of course, no batteries, no power. Yeah, and I, I actually got that one off CGN for bargain basement price. I think they're about they got to be about 120 bucks new or 130 bucks new. I think I've got that one for 30 bucks. So it is brand new and don't you know warranties forever and everything else. But yeah, I mean the volumetric is usually the way to go with like an RCBS Uniflow. Uh, will give you like a nice consistent powder drop if you want to do a bunch of cases uh, consistently, or you can do it digitally with a like a RCBS auto charge. Yeah, the, uh, the like auto that. charge and the charge master. And again, like charge yeah. master. If I had like 500 bucks that I wasn't doing anything with seriously look at a charge master because when you start getting into extruded rifle powder volumetric powder dispensers are not 
terribly effective. So when you start to look at uh, powder like Varget, which is a looks like a little stick, as opposed to the other kind of powders, a uh, flake powder or a ball powder, they're what they sound like, little mm-hmm. balls or little flakes. Uh, shotgun powder, pistol powder is usually little flakes. Um, little balls are hit or miss. A bunch of stuff comes in ball powder or pistol, shot, uh, pistol and rifle. I don't think you get shotgun and ball powder. Uh, but the extruded stick powder is the one that is always a pain in the butt for volumetric dispensing because it yes. doesn't flow nicely. Sometimes the little sticks get caught funny in the powder dispenser, so you won't get a complete charge. Oh, it'll grind up the uh, Uniflow for sure. Um, so yeah. you end up having to like reef on it. It doesn't do it any good. So uh, that's why you use uh, ball powder like BLC2 or 335 to go in the Uniflow or stick powder with the digital which I, and I mean, they all have their place. They're different powders for different purposes, right? Yeah. But it it can affect your uh, it can affect your charging system, your powder dispensing system, because some of them work better than others, and depending on how involved you want to get, if you want to weigh individual charges, like the uh, the RCBS Charge Master, for example, if you wanted to weigh down to one one hundredth of a grain for every load that you dispense, it's great. Go for it. For nine millimeter pistol, probably not required. Yeah, that's where the volumetric comes in. That's what Dylan bases bases all their stuff on as well on the on the five fifty and stuff. Uh, quick question from Chris here: Can you mix and match components from different brands? Luckily, uh, all the dye people got together and decided to do a consistent dye threading. So you can usually take a you know RCBS dye and throw it in a Dylan reloading press, and you know or the the RCBS uh, rock checker there, you can definitely throw like a Lyman die in that. It's not a big deal, which is great. I'm glad they agreed on something. It's not like plumbing. But uh, just never yeah, mix it's your a, powder. Yeah, never mix your powder, of course. <laughs> so, yes, yeah. Can you mix components from different brands? Yes, but no, but mostly yes. Yes, but no, but yes, mostly yes. So yeah, dyes for sure will interchange happily. Uh, obviously, no two powders are kind of the same for burn rates or uh, weight per volume or anything else. So that's a big no-no. Um, but again, you know, basically a large large pistol primer, for example, is like a large pistol primer generally, unless it says magnum in front of it. Um, and so well, it uses The good their- news is the sizes are consistent. Large primers are a certain size. Small primers are a certain size. Yeah. So- I don't remember how many tenths of an inch. I think a large... 0.094 of an inch sounds right, but maybe I'm making that up. I have no idea. All I know is there's large holes and small holes. And there's That's it. And you jam something in it and you get an explosion. Yeah, amazing how that works. I'm just waiting for Eric. I'm, I'm just, nope. Nope. I'm leaving that alone. <laughs> okay. That's fine. So you, you do on. have a couple of different kinds of primers that should not be mixed and matched. Um, even though there are two sizes, there are different uh, flavors. Uh, rifle, pistol, magnum or not, and then you get into like some specialty primers. So you get into the bench rest primer, for example, like the CCI BR2 primer. It's technically, it's a large rifle primer, but also it's not. So they can't be used interchangeably. They have specific purposes and to a certain degree specific sizes, but you could, in theory, not in a recommended sort of way, if the if you have a small primer, you didn't have the right kind of small primer. Another small primer would fit in the hole and work as a primer, although it may not work in your reloading recipe. And this is where we get into like safety stuff. Follow the recipes in the books. Don't do random things. Don't mix and match powder. 
don't put two different kinds of powder in the same case because that's a recipe for disaster. Well, for example, like small pistol primers and small rifle primers are the exact same size. Different, slightly different charges in the primer, which is equi- equivalent to a certain amount of powder, so yes. that could definitely screw up your pressures. So it, they can be used, but they shouldn't be used interchangeably. Whenever you change a component in a reloading recipe, you should recheck the recipe and redo it and make sure that you're within safety margins and all of that good stuff. In terms of equipment, if it fits, it's probably fine. Uh, dies are a great example of that. You can use any die from any manufacturer in any other press because they all have the same thread pitch. You can use any powder dispenser from any company in any other company's reloading equipment as long as it fits. Uh, most of the volumetric powder dispensers have a die set up that you can screw together if to put it onto a progressive press. So if you want to use a different one, you could. If you want to use a different swaging tool, you could. If you, uh, if you really want to be super cheap like me, you should go and buy a Lyman decapping die because it's just a steel rod that you can't break. Because I've broken so many decapping dies over the years. Yep. Well, you can try. I, uh, I think I might have broken one. Well, I, I've managed to bend mine a couple of times, but I haven't managed to break it yet. Yeah, it's a, it's a funny story about using Russian Russian primer uh, cases and that you picked up at the range and accidentally trying to decap them. It's terrible thing. Anyway. Uh, Next thing matching allowed. Yeah. Uh, dial calipers and some sort of way to figure out your overall length and trim length. So dial calipers meaning these things. Or uh, there's actually like a little almost like ruler looking things you can get from the uh, the stores. We'll show you like the uh, the recommended case length. You have to sit there and shove your case in there and see if it actually works. And But you basically want to make sure your uh, the case length is the proper length for reloading. I, I much prefer just the dial caliper. Yeah. Easy. Zero it. Don't mess with it. Get a good brand, though. Um, start it. Start it. Star it. Is that how you say it? Yeah, well, don't get the digital ones, for one. Uh, not just for EMP purposes, of course, but also the uh, the actual the accuracy of the old mechanical ones are actually better, and you can get them at garage sales for like five bucks a pop, generally. Yeah, again, as long as the teeth on them are in good shape and oil to maintain them, I I like the mechanical, um, the, uh, the mechanical calipers, and the, I I think they'll usually measure down to three digits of accuracy, point zero zero zero. Yeah, a thousandth of an inch, and which then- is what you need to what you need to dial down to. You don't need to go to ten thou for this application. No, especially just for overall cartridge length too, like because uh, there's, there's there's max lengths on most cartridges, if not all, and uh, yeah. you want to make sure that you stay within a reasonable amount there. This is the one that I use for uh, pistol calibers, just because it's small enough for that, but it's ultra precise and it's all mechanical, not digital. Yeah, like a vernier style. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Probably overkill for a lot of applications, but overkill is the best kind. Absolutely. Yeah, and it goes down to thousandths of an inch. So. Yeah, as long as you can measure down to a thou on this, you're you're fine. You don't need to be a any. You don't need four decimal points of accuracy for reloading. Three is enough. All right. Uh, case gauges. Do we use them, Andrew? Yes, but no, but also yes. <laughs> case gauges are used to test the finished product to make sure it actually would chamber in a semi-spec chamber of your rifle or pistol. Uh, so well, and you- so. To that end, 
every gun comes with a case checker. It's called the barrel. It's called the barrel. Yeah. Now, there are safety considerations with that. And just because it's in SAMI spec doesn't mean it will work reliably in your firearm. Because the way that manufacturers cut barrels, there are tolerances. And sometimes you need to play with things a little bit to make them reliable and happy. But if you were to say, take your run-of-the-mill stock Glock 40 and take the barrel out of it and, you know, safely disassemble it as though you were going to clean it, you can use the barrel to chamber check your round and it's very, very safe because it's just a barrel and you're just dropping a round into it. And if you turn the barrel over and the round falls out, you have successfully loaded ammo that will fit. If it doesn't drop all the way in or it doesn't come back out again, you have made an error and you should not use that because it will not feed reliably. And you probably either got uh, the case both has been belled out when you tried to put the bullet in or you didn't squeeze it back into place or crimp it uh, the right way. There's obviously something that you missed. If you're going to do high volume pistol reloading, I would seriously look at the Hundo case checkers or some other competing equivalent brand where it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a hundred holes that have been CNC'd into an aluminum block. You put a hundred in and you look at it and you make sure they're all nice and level. If they're not, you discard the ones that are not. Alternatively, the Dylan uh, individual ones are like 25 or 30 bucks a piece, depending on the caliber. Yeah, I think the, uh, Amazon even, I think is the cheapest place you can even find them at like 29 bucks a piece or something right now. The Dylan ones are good. Um, they're per caliber. They're a single cartridge. Check them one at a time, drop it in. And depending on if it's a pistol or rifle, there's uh, little plateaus that have been uh, milled onto the face. So you can see if it's um, under or over spec. Uh, on pistol, it's just you're just looking for flat. But yes, uh, case gauges I think are a a valuable tool to ensure that your ammunition has been loaded reliably. If your ammunition doesn't fit in the case gauge, it doesn't necessarily mean it won't work. It just means that it probably won't feed reliably, which can cause problems. So I would um, I would strongly recommend chamber checking things that matter. So if you're going on the once in a lifetime hunting trip, or the level three IPSC match, or the national level event chamber checking or uh, case gauging your ammunition probably a good use of your time if you're going to the range with your wife i mean well that's their problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i guess uh, before i even list off all the types uh some way to separate all your different loads uh if you if you're playing with load uh variations or you know different uh, powder usage or anything else you want to make sure you uh, keep them separated again stroking that part of the reloading thing yeah this is a highly detailed science that we're using and in science we think what we're going to do we write it down and then we check it and we write the results down and then we can refer back to that and then we can do like peer testing and things it is important to record all of this information in a way that you can access it again in the future so, yes, the uh, the case guard labels that Darius is holding up to the microphone for the audience to listen to at home. Do you see how the – do you hear the different colors? They come in various colors. I, I like the case guard ones. Uh, the, the container of ammunition should be labeled in some way with some details about what the contents are. And you probably have some sort of a log book or 
file or notepad or I would not recommend storing it on your phone, but something that you can retrieve and is backed up. Um, I use paper logbook in combination with a digital file so I can access it anywhere, but I also have a paper copy in case there's no internets. But all of that should be labeled. Um, all of the contents of the ammo storage device, um, whether it's a you know, the surplus ammo can that you've had in the garage for 15 years, which make great ammo cans, by the way. They're not just for looking cool on the shelf at Princess Auto, although they do a good job of that. According to the government, you shouldn't use ammo cans for storing ammo. Yeah, well, according to the government, that's what they issued it in, so... <laughs> yeah. Um... I guess in order to figure out how much powder to put in each bullet, I guess you're going to need a reloading manual specific you, usually to the bullet type you're using. I would say you need more than one reloading manual. Yes. And depending on your brand, your press probably has, your press brand probably has one that they come with. Most bullet and powder manufacturers have some kind of a manual. No one agrees on anything and the lawyers have been involved and everything is very safe and regulated and it is difficult to do something um, dangerous as long as you're following the recipe, which you are following a recipe, right? There's there's four components in reloading, the, the projectile, the powder, the primer, and the cartridge case. So as, lo as long as you follow the book, you're probably going to be good. And the book's going to give you a starting load and what they're going to list as a maximum load, which is the maximum safe amount of ammunition in a test firearm that they have used. It is probably not the actual maximum but like for safety's sake let's say stay within the maximum until you're an experienced person that knows what you're doing and are willing to assume a lot of liability and know what's going on hodgden which makes a number of brands of powder um uh winchester hodgden and imr i think are all owned by the same brand yeah. the hodgden website has a reloading uh manual of sorts a digital manual where you can punch in your bullet weight and power selection and it will spit out all of the different combinations that they're aware of that are um say approved the, uh, rcbs has a manual hornady has a manual uh, i'm sure that has, hornady also has a phone app that uh, opens up the full reloading manual as well as you can get your individual uh, load information and type it into the app and it will give you powder recommendations there as well which i think is a, a great thing because that's i mean really how to how to get a powder is probably the most confusing thing as a new person what powder do i start with because when you open the you open the hornady book for the first time and you turn to nine millimeter and you look up your bullet that you want and you go okay i have Campro 124 so 124 is an option so that's in the book and i I now have 12 powders that I could choose from. Which one is the one I want? And the answer is the one you can get in today's economy. Yes. And if you can get it, buy it in bulk. Well, and this is one of the, I don't, I've had this conversation with a number of people that are getting into it and they're like, well, I want to get like a couple to try. And it's like, just get, get a hundred of whatever it is. If you, if you want to try it, but once you've settled on something that you're reasonably happy with, like, I like CCI primers because they're they were readily available and they were in smaller packaging than the federal. They work well for me in most applications. I tend to just buy CCI primers and I'm happy with them and I'm not really going to change that. I'm not going to buy 
10 from seller and ballot and 10 from cci and 10 from federal and like and mix and match like that because it gets to be too many combinations and permutations that you have to rearrange because every time you change a component you should do your load development again and i yeah. like many people that reload are cheap and lazy <laughs> yeah that's fair it's all i'm using too is cci so well, and I don't think there's any different CCI, federal, whatever your your brand of choice is. I don't know that it's any different than like I like Ford or I like Chevy. I don't think it's a, it's a truck. It's got five wheels and it goes down the highway. It's fine. There was some talk about hardness of primers in semi-autos and stuff, uh, but CCI is good for that. Like basically, it's not too. Solid. I don't know the hardness of primer thing. I think is probably bunk. I think it is too, but that's uh, federal was uh, supposedly the softest of the bunch, but. Yes, and I mean, I do I do use Federal. I buy the Federal 210 gold metal match large rifle primers for my precision rifle because they provide the most consistent ignition in my experience and provide me with the lowest standard deviation in my loaded ammo. That's what I use for my 308s as well. Yeah, and I think they're great primers. They're a little bit more expensive, and, and the boxes are bigger. So mm-hmm. it has its place. The biggest thing is probably just don't mix and match. Find something and stick with it because once you start buying in quantity, you get quantity discounts because Costco rules apply. That's right. So I guess we should probably move on to where to find everything. Oh boy. Uh-huh. Right <laughs> if now? you find it, please <laughs> send an email to the show and let us know where you found it because well, I would like to go and buy it. It's like a fishing hole. Like, does anybody really want to share that information right now? Like, well, I I will say you, your local gun store is probably a good place to start because powder and primers are dangerous goods and have particularities around shipping. It's not difficult to ship them. It's just expensive. Yeah, I mean, not just for the the supporting small business idea too, but also just for the extra bit of local knowledge, usually from the local gun store. The guy's been shooting probably for years and can give you tips and tricks, especially for a new reloader. Uh, my local gun store is actually about an hour away, but worth every minute of the drive. Um, I've only been there a couple times now and love it. He still has plenty of supplies, surprisingly, but he's the only guy that does. Like Cabela's, mm-hmm. I mean, there's no primers or powder to be found there, period. Like they have zero. Um, same thing with the other local gun store that's uh, in Nanaimo doesn't have anything. So yeah, I definitely think the mom and pop shops for, for the best uh, service yeah. and supply usually. Yeah, I would I'd say start with your local gun shop because they're going to be local and you're going to be able to get stuff uh, likely reliably. If they get it once, they're probably not going to never get it again. Yeah. Although the way the market is right now, that may be the case. It's like large rifle primers are just gone. We're never we're just never going to see large rifle primers again. I'm pretty convinced at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have to buy brass, there are a few places online that will sell oh, don't them. Don't buy brass, but don't buy brass. Preferably be. I mean, I guess, what's the what's the place to buy brass? Is it Black Sheep Brass that sells processed bla- brass in Canada? Yeah, Black Sheep Brass, um, and that's that's reconditioned once fired brass, not like the new factory brass they sell at Cabell's for like a buck twenty a piece or something like that. That's just crazy, but. Um, Black sheep will, will pick up stuff off the range. And I think X Reload and probably Budget Shooter Supply, and there's probably a couple other common big-name places that have a bunch of reloading stuff, including brass, but just go pick stuff up for the range or save your stuff for Ask Western a Body. Western will also do it, but they're usually a little bit more pricey. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Western Metals does bulk brass stuff. Um, CGN is also not a bad option, and again, you can probably find it local. Brass is not um, unprimed brass, or once or is, fired brass. 
fired brass. Uh, doesn't have any special shipping considerations, but it's not light. Yeah. But just like, I mean, projectiles are not light either, but you can still safely ship them or legally ship them with Canada Post and everything else too. So for projectiles and stuff, usually they'll ship them by ground to UPS or whatever, but they will ship them, unlike powder and primers. Unlike powder and primer, which there's a bunch of hazmat stuff with that because it is classed as an explosive, even though it's technically a propellant. Competing regulatory agencies. Save your brass. Pick up your brass at your range. Recycle. It's the green thing to do. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to buy brass, um, certainly there are uh, places to get one's fire. CGN is usually good for it. Uh, Black Sheep's uh, a good place to go. Western Metal. Uh, X Reload in Quebec. I think those are all, all valid choices. If you're going to buy new brass, there are particular occasions where you might want to do that. I say as I'm waiting on a thousand brand new unprimed virgin Lapua cases to come to me from Finland. Because I'm, I've had my Lapua order open for quite some time, and I'm looking forward to getting all of next year's reloading equipment in. Yeah, I guess the other thing uh, we could talk about too is quickly: if you want to get your own projectiles, you can always cast them. If you really want to go off the deep end for that, should be its whole own show about how to get lead poisoning doing that. Yes, <laughs> or at least how to try and avoid it. But it, yeah, it generally is, is going to involve digging out the, the berm at the back of the range and uh, sorting out your own stuff and melting it down and causing all sorts of fume issues and then having to powder coat them and then cook them and just buy your bullets. Don't make them at this point. I don't know. I think it'd be worthwhile to have a discussion about casting, not just for bullets, because casting is just an interesting thing in of itself, but casting yeah. is a whole own hobby onto itself. Yeah, if anybody does casting, uh, you know, I'd love to have somebody come on. We we talked about lead smelting before, I think, a little bit, but with one guy. But uh, yeah, casting is also really handy when it comes to finding parts that are hard to get. If you know, or like, if you have one of the part that's worn down or something, you can make a mold out of that for a new piece. And just in the long run, swap it out. Depending on what you're, what type of metal you're casting, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. But anyway, uh, what else we need to talk about quickly? We talked about the reloading info. Uh, oh yeah, YouTube uh, channels. Uh, do you have a favorite, Andrew, for reloading? I do not. I do not watch people reload. It's kind of like watching paint dry, but more boring. But, uh, no, actually, some of the guys have some good information. I got a couple here. Uh, Johnny's Reloading Bench, uh, Fortune Cookie 45LC. There's an inside joke there. Uh, and there's also the Reloading Podcast, if you really want to go deep into it. But I have yet to get through an episode on that one. It's pretty dry. Yeah, I don't think I could uh, yeah. I don't think I could do that. So good for you for... I tried. I, I was going to make a lube joke there, but I figured I wouldn't. Oh, Eric. I know. <laughs> All right. Uh, anything else you want to touch on? Since we kind of did the steps the first episode, uh, we talked about more of the equipment this time. Anything else you want to talk about quickly? I think that, I mean, that rounds out in, a, in a, a general sort of way. It is not a difficult hobby to get into, but it is an overwhelming hobby to get into because there is a lot of startup to get going with that, even to get a complete kit, like even a cheap Lee all in wonder single stage kit is you're probably still close to a thousand bucks by the time you're ready to start actually making ammo. 
-hmm. And then you want to change out everything as soon as you start going with the Lee stuff. So it's that's a problem too, right? So it's going to be well, and that yeah, that's a buy once, cry once is the thing here, right? I I would think I I do think that is a thing with reloading is spending more money up front on the equipment is definitely going to result in a uh, more pleasant loading experience as well as a superior product. But you can get by on cheap stuff, and there's no one as cheap as, as a firearms owner, at least in my experience. Yeah. Um, anything for your notes there, Darius, you had to cover off? Um, not that I can think of. Just in regards to the um, lots of cheap stuff available sometimes, um, I'm noticing especially for like the secondhand stores um, and all of the uh, online shops and that, there are a lot of people who will buy a cheaper press, turn around, try it out, and then buy one of the more expensive ones right away and are trying to sell off that cheaper press for ridiculously low prices online all over the place. So if somebody doesn't want one of the big expensive presses just a single stage one they're usually going for relatively good prices online oh yeah there can be they do hold their value well that that has certainly been advantageous for reloading like you're sorry for which the the used market is is good they hold their value they're hard to screw things up and they do generally have lifetime transferable warranties yeah yeah, so like the RCMP or RC, would I say that loud? RCBS. Uh, no, the well, RCMP. Should, go on. Yeah, go on. Yeah, that RCMP. Now, uh, RCBS. Yes, uh, they will maintain their value as well as the the readings and and the hornities and stuff. But uh, or not even hornity press per se. But um, but the Lee I find is is usually a steep discount for the the cheap presses. Like you can usually get them half or lower price for used ones. Well, I, I do think if you're going to get into this, get into used. I, all of my presses are used that I've bought on consignment from the local gun store or through deals on CGN. Yep. Um, I have bought new dies for them because I'm particular about certain things and I don't want um, other people's messed up dies messing up my reloading stuff. But most of the tools, if they're in good shape and they're well-maintained, it's generally not... Uh, not a big issue and if it is something that does get screwed up like i bought a press that was missing a bunch of components i called hornady and i was like hey i have one of these and i need and i went through the catalog and gave them all the 15 part numbers or whatever it was and they're like yeah uh it's going to be 22 dollars us postage and we'll have it to you in a week and they just gave me all of the parts i needed yeah i had the same experience with rcbs and dylan actually a couple times so Usually they, really good for it. Yeah, they're just like, yeah, Merry Christmas. And just the if you cover the posting, it's, and surprisingly, there's no delay for customs either with a lot of this stuff. Never sits in a customs facility for six weeks waiting to clear or anything. It's just straight through. Um, I guess touching on the cost thing again before we wrap up. Yep. Um, I did I did some interning while we've been talking, and I went to go work out what my, uh, my precision rifle 308 load is that I use to shoot out to 800 meters. Um, shooting all brand new Lapua components, virgin brass, uh, match bullets, the whole shebang. My loaded cost for ammunition with today's prices, if you can get stuff in stock, uh, I'm looking at $2.26 a round for match ammo. 
308, which is significantly cheaper than buying loaded Lapua match ammo. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen some pretty scary prices in Cabela's. I saw 80 bucks for some uh, match ammo there for 20. Yeah. Uh, and it's like with I, the 308, um, I shoot uh, Hornady ELDMs and in store right now for a rough equivalent, I'm looking at 50 to 60 bucks a box. Even for that. I think for the the Lapua ammunition that I was looking at in 308, um, it's about 150 dollars for a box of 50 loaded. Oh. So, is that three three bucks around? Is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I am I'm not saving a ton of money. 25 cents per cartridge. But my my reloaded cost on my again precision ammo used for long range match shooting, my box of fifty is one hundred and thirteen dollars, one hundred and fourteen dollars, um, versus one hundred and fifty for the same thing from the factory. Yeah. Assuming you can get powder and primers and all of that stuff, and I am reusing that brass after the first time. You can be certain of that. I count every little piece, and it goes back in the same spot in the ammunition box. And they all come home together and they all live together and they're all well cared for. And I'm going to maximize the lifespan of that brass. But the first time, uh, because I am shooting virgin brass for that that match. Yeah. Um, if I looked at uh, 223 as a different example, my bulk blasting ammo recipe, I went and punched in today's prices. Again, if you could get everything, 55 grain cam pros, uh, Hornady or uh, Hodgden H335 cheap bulk powder, uh, cheap CCI bulk primer. Uh, it looks like I can do... Loaded two two three blasting ammo for about forty cents a round, which is about half the price of new right now. Yep. I'm afraid to go and calculate pistol because you don't really save any money on pistol. Oh, I think you still do. Yeah. Uh, I, I figured it out for the show here because I, I somebody was asking me uh, two hundred and fifteen dollars for a thousand right now for uh, I actually reload uh, jacket and hollow point because it's just the same price as, as regular. Uh, full metal jacket, and uh, which again, yes. you know, you'd pay a premium for that if you really wanted to. But it's just just because I can, you know. It's at least it's partitioning ammo if I end up, you know, shooting something with it. Anyway, uh, but yeah, two hundred fifteen or so for a thousand versus minimum thirty nine bucks for a hundred, uh, so three ninety for a thousand for blasting stuff. So I think there's still some money to be saved there. I am yeah. certainly terrified to look at that versus what's in my logbook for old numbers because I looked I looked back for when I started loading two two three, and I was able to load two two three for about fourteen cents a round. <laughs> yeah, well, that won't happen anymore. But I haven't had to buy primers lately, so that's going to be good. But we'll see. Anyway, shall we move on? I guess Eric. I was going to say, is it podcast challenge time? I think so. Uh, podcast challenge for this week, guys. Become a Rage Goblin. Uh, even if it's just a short term, there's no plans to reload for you. Uh, brass does store forever as long as you keep it dry. And uh, it does have barter value, or at least trade value, or you know, cash value for now. Um, it's getting harder to find by the day, especially for certain calibers. Like right now, I think I, I listed some eight millimeter Mauser brass uh, gone within 10 minutes. Like last time I listed up on CGN. Um, scrounge whatever is actually brass brass. So as long as it's not steel or aluminum, um, it'll probably 
have value to somebody somewhere. Um, don't pick up the 22 unless you plan on melting it all down and making ingots out of it and trying to sell it to a scrap dealer or something. <laughs> I don't know. Nobody really I mean, thinks it is, that. It is brass. It is brass, so technically, if you want to do something with it, I suppose you can. But, I mean, generally, you can't reload Very tiny so. stills. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Yeah. But it's maybe it some Lego cannons or something. But, yeah, no, it's not. Uh, no yeah, reload value. Getting for one of those ingots for... Uh, just scrap brass that I have all the stuff that's dented or has you know the rims and all that that are destroyed I'm planning on just throwing all that into a bucket and then once I have a 10 gallon bucket full I'll melt it down but I say talk about the scrap dealer to pay you for it in the bucket in, exactly. you know spent brass you don't need to make ingots or anything so I mean it's just it's just more compact storage is all that is and some guys that become like metal goblins actually you know have a youtube channels devoted to melting down stuff into ingots just for fun or whatever but it takes a lot of energy so uh but yeah so just scratch whatever brass you can and maybe down the road either you'll use it or somebody you, you know can so all right upcoming events all right if you want to come and do something silly whether you're in southern ontario or finland or anywhere else in the world may 26th 29th is the rasul four-day march uh, the website is very creative. Rasul four day march dot fi. Rasul is R E S U L. Fi stands for Finland. And if you're in southern Ontario and you want to hike the entire Avon Trail, all 120 kilometers with me, well, I'll be on the Avon Trail. You come find me. I'll be the guy in multicam. And I guess uh, there's also team stats uh, worldwide. Uh, team yes, A. come come to the Canadian Patriot Podcast Discord and socialize with the Canadian Patriot podcast people that are doing this. And we are forming the largest international team for the second year running suck at Germany. Join up with uh, team <laughs> Ragnarok. If you're going to be participating, we have a Strava. There's a whole thing details on the Canadian Patriot podcast discord. Cool. Awesome. We've also got uh, the annual uh, Preppers Meet in Desborough, Ontario. It's coming up July 7th to 10th. Uh, so check out uh, annualpreppersmeet.com. All the info is there, and I believe tickets uh, are available for purchase now. So check that out. It's always a good time with all kinds of good people. All right, uh, deal of the week. Um, so the deal of the week this week is the Vortex Spark 2. It's a red dot optic. Um, currently $100 off at Cabela's right now. And well, if I, I guess I got to go spend some money. about six of them. Right <laughs> yeah, well, they're the regular $2.99, so they're on for $1.99. So a third off is pretty good. Yeah. Very nice. And... All right, do we have any shout outs? So uh, I've got a shout out. You mentioned it earlier in the uh, the podcast uh, for our local uh, ham radio operator, Victor Alpha Three Mike Whiskey X Ray is his call sign. Uh, he's local to our area. Popped in again, like Eric said when we were doing a Parks on the Air, and mentioned the show. So I just thought I would give him a shout out. Uh, thanks for listening, and good to hear you on the air. And we'll be chatting uh, again, I'm sure. Yeah, it's a total nerd moment, but it was a lot of fun. I have a shout out being that it is Mother's Day. The mother of my child and wife is not aware of how much money I've spent on reloading supplies or <laughs> equipment or loaded ammunition. And she's pretty good about it because occasionally she comes to the range and uses it. So she doesn't ask me how much it costs. 
there you go. Well, you wouldn't have to lie to her and, you know, even no, no, I would not lie to her. It's just no. easier if nobody discusses it. Yeah. You know, cause if you, if you <laughs> shout out to that, my, my very understanding wife and mother of my child on this mother's day reloading episode. And if you want to, <laughs> if you told her what you actually spent on it, like her, what you told her, the fake number that you spent on it and you died, that you want to sell it for that low number and it would be even worse. So that's, there's just no winning, right? Oh no, there's very specific instructions in my will in how to, uh, uh dispossess my assets. Is my name mentioned at all? No, but we could oh. make some adjustments if you'd like. Okay, cool. <laughs> There's a whole bidding um, system. Yeah, that's a little oh, boy. online auction or something. <laughs> As, yeah, well, now i got to show up my wife because she's the mother of my, my children as well. So, Well, I put it in the show notes first, so I'm a better uh, husband. Uh, I'll, I'll join the group here and shout out my wife as well. Yes. There we go. <laughs> all right, oh, let's move to... <laughs> Let's move to uh, email and iTunes reviews. So we've got a review from YouTube uh, from Brendan. It says, uh, good overview of the topic as usual, but very short on actual science and facts slash studies. Uh, for a near comprehensive and science-based investigation into making water safe, check out the Gear Skeptic on YouTube. Uh, he has a multi-part series on filtration, chemical disinfection, and boiling with extensive sources listed and explained. Uh, well, that's from last week. We did spend two hours talking about water and we didn't get into any scientific studies, but we did have an MD actually doing live chat with us. So, I mean, I don't know how far down the rabbit hole he wants us to go, but we, I thought two hours was enough. Two hours well, is my, uh, my, almost a record. My thing on it, not not wanting to, you know, take shots at the, the person thing is, I don't think it's our job to I guess, hold their hand through the whole process. We give you the good overview. We give you the basics. Go out and do your homework. Look it up. You know, get a book. Do do whatever. Do your homework and do what's best for you. Um, I, That's my opinion. I just don't think we should be your babysitter. We've given you the basics and you need to go with it. The only you way you're going to learn is to do it. What's required. Well, what works for us might not work for him either, right? So yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. None of us here claim to be a hundred percent experts on everything. We just give you our point of view, and uh, hey, if it's not what you want to hear, well, listen to the next episode, I suppose. All right. Well, with that, I will bring episode number 160 of the Canadian Prepper podcast to an end. Uh, you can find the podcast on iTunes, Podbean, Spotify, or of course your favorite podcast app. Uh, please help us out. Submit a review. It does help other people find us. And we do record these shows live on Facebook and YouTube. If you want an early peek at the shows, please subscribe to the YouTube channel, Canadian Prepper Podcast. Click the notifications tab. That will give you an alert when we are going live. If you'd like to uh, reach out to me, you can uh, just send a message to feedback at prepperpodcast.ca and it may eventually make it to me by Carrier Pigeon. You can also get them on uh, Parks on the Air. Apparently that's a yes. thing now. Few can't get enough of me. I do my own podcast, Canadian Patriot Podcast. We record Monday nights at 8.30 Toronto time because as everyone knows, Toronto should be filled up and make the lake bigger. <laughs> well, still being centered and located and, in the universe. And if you want to get a hold of me as well, um, feel free to swing by over to the Discord app. We're getting incredibly, incredibly active now. Um, lots of people on there, and you can find us talking about all this stuff all day long. 
Cool. Uh, if you want to reach Ian directly, you can email me at theislandretreat at gmail.com. I'm also the Discord for chat for both CPPs. Uh, email us if you want an invite because we'd love to have you. I think we're over 200 people now. It's pretty awesome. Uh, there you can find us discussing why government waste in society has been doing the bear crawl at the range during ceasefires. <laughs> well played. <laughs> uh, please check out Rapid Survival at rapidsurvival.com. Uh, you can get me there on the live chat. You can also get me on the airwaves on doing parks on the air because apparently that's a thing now. And uh, you can email me at feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. So thanks for joining us this evening. Until next time, be prepared, stay safe. And keep learning. <laughs>